Have you ever had that dream where you, you show up to school and you go to class and you realize that this is the first time you've been to class and it's exam day? That's kind of me right now. I've been gone for the last six weeks while Luke's preached through Luke and here I am for the final exam. This is the last sermon in 1 Timothy. I'm prepared. I'm prepared. I've been following along with you from a distance. Since this is the last sermon, here's a quick overview of this book. Throughout this book, Paul has been giving instructions to the church. He's been giving instructions to Timothy and to the whole church about how they're supposed to behave together. You see that in, let's see, chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. This is what Paul says. He tells us why he's writing. Oh, I don't have to wear this mask, do I? Hold on. Oh, that's nice. He tells us, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. He tells us why he's writing. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. So he's saying, Timothy, church, you guys need to know how you're supposed to behave with one another so that God looks great. You're the pillar and buttress of the truth. If we're going to protect the truth, if we're going to hold it up, we need to live together in a way that says this is real. Paul says that's why he's writing this letter to Timothy. So throughout the letter, you've probably noticed Scattered throughout are instructions for Timothy, how he's supposed to behave, and then how the church is supposed to relate together, one to another. But then surrounding these instructions about how the church is supposed to relate, Paul exhorts Timothy again and again to fight against false teaching by teaching what's true. So that's the biggest reason that Paul wrote this. Listen to some of these exhortations. These are from Paul throughout the book. This is chapter 1, verse 3. So right at the beginning, Paul says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So Paul is saying to Timothy, this is why I sent you to this church in the first place. Because false teaching is going on, and I want you to make it stop. I don't want any different doctrine to be taught in this church. Here's chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Paul says to Timothy, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture to exhortation to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So he's saying, Timothy, teach! Exhort, read the scripture, teach from it. Teach, 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 because the truth that you're teaching is what's going to keep the people who are listening in the faith. And you too, Timothy, 
So teach, teach the truth. Don't let it go. Chapter six, verses two through four. Teach and urge these things, Timothy. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. So this letter is Paul encouraging Timothy, teach. False teaching's already out there. So you have to keep at it. Keep teaching. Teach what's true because the church is going to build their life on top of the truth. And that's the way God looks real. He looks real when we say we stand on the truth and the truth changes the way we live and people see it and they go, man, something different is happening in this group of people. It must be because what they say is true actually is. So teaching matters. Bad teaching leads to evil living, and that dishonors God. Truth really matters. Good teaching is vital. Good teaching is vital for the church to survive. Where there's bad teaching or no teaching, the truth dies, and so does any spiritual life. It's really important. It's really important. We don't believe that if you just hand someone a Bible and step back and you say, I want you to trust the Holy Spirit to do the work, that things are going to be okay. Because God doesn't ever say that's the way it works. We do have the Word, we have the Holy Spirit, and then we need to be taught and taught and taught. That's how God gives and maintains spiritual life. And that's what this letter is about. Now, the last two verses hit on that same note. I mean, you saw, he's saying guard the deposit. He's talking about teaching there. I'm kind of giving away the sermon. The last two verses are him summarizing that same note. So we're going to look at them. We're going to look at these last two verses. We're going to see the flow of logic. And then we're going to do something a little different. We're going to spend almost half of the time, the second half, just going through two examples of how we might fall prey to the kind of danger that Paul says Timothy is in. So that's what we're going to do. And we need God to help. Why don't we pray and ask him for help? Father, we do need help. We need grace to be with us now in the spirit. Jesus, you are king of your people. You're king of this gathering here right now. And we know that you are with your people by the Spirit. And so by the Spirit, would you help me teach clearly? Lord, would you work on our hearts in all the particular ways that only you know how to do? Please, would you help us? That's what we need. Change us. Sustain us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. So let's go through these two verses. They talk about the importance of guarding the truth. Verse 20, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. That word deposit, it shows up three times in the Bible, and it's talking about when somebody gives you a treasure and you're supposed to keep it safe. So Paul's telling Timothy, guard your treasure. You have a treasure, take care of it, guard it, make sure it doesn't get stolen. It doesn't disappear. Watch over it. 
So what is the deposit? This is one of the uses of the word deposit. The two other uses, and there are only two other uses, are probably in your Bible on the very next page. They show up in 2 Timothy chapter 1. You can turn there if your Bible's open, or you can just listen. 2 Timothy chapter 1, they're in the same paragraph. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. It's going to help us by looking at the way deposit's used here. It's going to help us figure out what it is. What is the deposit? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, Paul says to Timothy in his next letter, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard, he's talking about Jesus, I'm convinced that Jesus is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now in the Greek, it says my deposit. I know whom I believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard my deposit. So Paul's been given a deposit, a treasure, and he's trusting Jesus to guard it. Verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. I think verse 13 is telling us what the deposit is. Verse 13, Paul says, follow the pattern of sound words that you heard from me. I think that's the deposit. The sound words that Paul has taught to Timothy. I think this is the way it works. Jesus taught Paul. Jesus gave Paul his teaching. Sound words, his deposit. And Paul's saying, I spoke those sound words to you. I gave the teaching to you, Timothy. Now you guard it. It's your treasure. Guard it by the Spirit. And just a few verses later, if you know 2 Timothy, in chapter 2, verse 2, Paul's going to tell Timothy, now you entrust this to faithful men who will be able to teach others. So that's the pattern. Paul has received teaching, sound words from Jesus. He passed it to Timothy, and he's saying, Timothy, guard it. And pass it along to others who will be able to do the same. Okay, so now back to our passage, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We have an understanding of what Paul means when he tells Timothy to guard the deposit. He's wanting Timothy to guard the truth. Guard the sound words that he's been taught. I've been taught what Jesus taught me, Timothy. Don't lose it. Don't change it. This is crucial. This is your treasure, Timothy. Guard it. Keep it. That's the first part of verse 20. Okay, so now how does it move on? The rest of verse 20. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the, from the faith. So, he said, Timothy, guard the deposit, guard the teaching. And now he's telling Timothy how to do that. He's saying what you need to do is you need to avoid irreverent babble. The word irreverent just means that it's trying to exalt itself over God. 
That's what it means to be irreverent. It's exalting itself over God. This teaching is, and he wants Timothy to avoid it. Now, Paul's used that word irreverent already in this letter. If you remember chapter four, Paul gives us a little insight into what the false teaching is. In verses one through three, he tells us the false teachers are telling people, listen, if you really wanna be holy, don't eat certain foods. Don't get married. Don't be involved in any physical intimacy. That's what you do if you really want to be holy. These false teachers were adding to the good news that Paul had given to the Ephesians. They were, they were fine with you believing the gospel, but you also needed to add this new knowledge that they had. Sure, you can believe that Jesus died for your sins, he rose from the dead, but also... If you want your soul to be right, don't eat meat. Don't get married. The false teachers wanted to add extra knowledge to the teaching that Paul had given. I mean, you can see that at the end of verse 20. Do you see that? This irreverent babble, it's a contradiction to what I've taught you, and it's falsely called knowledge. The teachers are saying, we have knowledge. We've got new knowledge for you, church. This is how you're really holy. This is how you really deal with your soul. And Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, avoid teaching that gives people a new or different way of relating to God than the one I gave you. If anybody comes along and they say, I've got a new way to relate to God or a different way, Run! That's what he's telling Timothy. The New Testament calls us to relate to God by grace alone through trusting Jesus in all of life. That's how you relate to God. It's not about not eating the right foods, not touching the right things. It's not about some extra knowledge you need. It's by grace alone through trusting Jesus in all of life. And it's laid out in perfect sufficiency for us right here. So we have the deposit. We don't have to wonder, okay, what were the sound words that were passed on? We have it. It's here. And the warning is, if you add a new or different way to relate to God than the gospel, you may lose the way altogether. That's the danger. That's the warning. I mean, just look at verses 20 and 21. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what's falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. it may not have seemed like that big of a deal. We've got the gospel. We trust Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the grave. He's going to take us to be with him in heaven someday. It may not have seemed like a big deal to say, also, you you can't eat meat. Maybe it's just a little addition. 
But the problem is, is that it can change everything. One addition makes us swerve. That's, that's the word that Paul uses. So you're driving. You've got a list of instructions, directions. Turn right, go two miles, two kilometers. Turn left, go straight for 10 kilometers. Then you're going to want to turn left, turn right. If someone just drops in one right-hand turn or one left-hand turn that wasn't in there, you're not going to make it to your destination. That's the danger with adding any extra knowledge that people need to know outside of our deposit if they want to relate to God or have healthy souls. That's the danger. It makes us swerve from the faith, the truth that saves. So Paul is saying, here's his, this is 20 and 21. He's saying, Timothy, guard the deposit, guard the truth. The stakes are really high. They're eternally high. Irreverent babble, extra knowledge on top of the good news that you've received. When people say that's necessary for your soul to be whole, it causes people to swerve. So that's why this whole letter he's been saying, Timothy, teach. Here's some instructions for the church. Oh, by the way, Timothy, teach. Here's some more instructions about how the church should work together. Timothy, teach, because the truth matters. It matters. And it matters that we don't add to the deposit that we've been given in this word. So church, for us, this is our treasure. Guard it. Treasure it. This is, this is how you know what God is like. Don't take any addition lightly. All of us make sh- must make sure that any knowledge that's passed along to us is submitted to this word. That's, that's the burden of this message. I'm about to give two extended examples of how we might do this today. But the burden of this message is whatever knowledge comes our way, we've got to make sure that it's submitted to this that it runs through the filter of this so that we're not requiring things that change the nature of the gospel. So, how are we in danger of doing this? How are we today in danger of doing this? It's, I mean, we could end the sermon here. We could say, okay, those are the two verses. That's what Paul's saying. Guys, don't change the Bible. Don't add any new knowledge. That's marginally helpful. I think that if we work through two examples, it can help us kind of get our hands around possibilities, dangerous possibilities for us to swerve. Where are we in danger of doing this? Where do we not think that the Bible is enough in telling us how to relate to God? Where are we tempted to look for extra knowledge to make us holy? Now, there are probably countless possibilities for how we could do that, but we're just going to do two examples where Christians can be tempted to add to the Bible's teaching about how to relate to God and how to be changed. One of them is a more Eastern African 
example, and one is a more Western-minded example, which might mean, by the way, you might track with both examples. You might be like, yes, I understand what you're saying. Or you might track with one and be like, I have no idea what he's talking about in that other example. That's okay. Just want to try to get our hands around possible pitfalls for us, adding knowledge, requiring it to be holy. So the first example is more common in Eastern African backgrounds. It has to do with methods for handling curses and demons. We've talked about this briefly before. Methods for handling curses and demons. Many of you grew up in context where you knew that spirits were real. You just knew it. You knew evil spirits were real. You knew curses were real. You knew that there were witch doctors and witches who were casting spells and cursing people all the time. And so you just grew up with strategies of how to avoid them or how to get them off you once they came. Curses are real. Demons are real. It's a more Western mistake to think that material stuff is all that there is. Demons are real. Curses are real. But there is a temptation here for Christians to add a list of strategies to keep curses and demons off of them that add to what the Bible tells us. So, some examples would be paying an older, holy man or woman to provide covering for you. To provide covering from curses and from witchcraft. Making sure that no one in your hometown knows where you live now in the UAE because if they knew, then they could curse you. Binding demons by spraying oils or special water, saying the right words when you enter a room, knowing what territories certain demons belong to and if they've passed their boundaries and how you got to punish them if they do. Now, that may seem Christian, and you may do it in Jesus' name, but by adding to the way the Bible, the New Testament, tells us to wage spiritual war, we can be in danger of swerving from the faith. If you rely on a holy man or woman to provide covering for you, you really are getting at, you're in danger of denying a central New Testament truth, which is that Jesus Christ is our only mediator. That's a big deal. If you pay someone to provide you covering from curses and demons, you may be denying a central New Testament truth that all of the good we receive, all the spiritual benefit we receive is free. Free. It may not seem like a big deal at first, just adding a little something, but it strikes at the heart if you rely on the right oils, the right combination of words to say, you might swerve from the truth that faith is how God brings us the grace that Jesus purchased. And in it all, 
there's a danger of being distracted from the fact that the Bible doesn't teach us to do that. I mean, you may, you may have heard a preacher mention some Bible texts and then talk about strategies, but that's not how the Bible talks. What it does talk about is that Jesus, by his gracious power alone, disarms demonic power when? When he nails our sin to the cross. Not by saying magic words. Our slavery is not to some curse out there, but to the sin we have done. That's what we need freedom from, and that's what demons don't want us free from. They desperately don't want us free from sin. I really think they could care less if you're scared in the middle of the night. Only if it keeps you from running to Jesus to deal with your sin. So, whenever we add an extra kind of knowledge to our Bibles, to this deposit, which is what was happening in Ephesus, to deal with our spiritual issues, we're in danger of swerving from the faith. Now, I'm closing this example. This is not a sermon about curses or demons. So if you've got questions, if you're like, wait, you just barely touched on it and then you moved on, please talk to me, email me, text me. We can talk at Bawadi over dinner. I'd love to. Here's the other example of how a Christian might swerve by adding to the Bible's teaching about how we relate to God and how we experience change. And this one has to do with how many, especially in the West, think about mental health and counseling. Now, a note up front, this is not me bashing doctors or psychology, because I believe that when Adam and Eve fell, this world fell with them. Our bodies are fallen. Things don't work the way they, do, they are supposed to. You might need medicine to help. Okay, so I'm not saying that. I believe that psychology and counseling studies have provided some really helpful insights about how things in your past affect your life today. Really helpful insights about how one pattern of behavior in your life, others usually show up with it. Modern counseling and psychology gives really helpful tools, communicating tools for dealing with stress. So I believe in and I have been helped by good biblical counselors. That's the note up front. I don't want you to leave by saying, John hates counseling. But if we're not guarding, if we're not on our guard for our deposit, it's possible for us to add truth to what's been handed down to us in a way that's unhelpful. Here's why. Most modern psychology does not think that the most significant thing about you is how your soul relates to God. If you walk into almost any secular counselor or grab any book off the shelf, psychology book, it's not going to start with the fact that you were made to glorify God. That's what you're made for. That's the biggest brokenness in your life is that you don't. It's not going to start there, and it's not going to end there. 
for them, your big problem is that you don't get along well with other people and it's causing issues at home or at work, or you just don't feel good. But the Bible tells us if you get along well with everyone and you feel good all the time, but you're not living your happy life submitted to God's rule for his glory, then you have the most dysfunctional soul you could have. Modern psychology is just not going to talk that way. That's how our Bible talks, though. The Bible teaches, yes, our bodies are broken. We've got to deal with that. We do. There's suffering, tremendous suffering that comes with that. And some of us have had terrible things happen to us in our past. And we've got to grapple with that. But we are most responsible, according to the Bible, for whether or not in it all we are oriented towards God and his glory. That's the way that the Bible is going to talk about your soul and your soul's problems. So instead of telling a proud person, listen, you, you use people to make yourself the king of the universe. You're setting yourself equal to God. That's pride. God judges that. He gives promises, though, if you humble yourself before him, that's where you'll know real life, and he'll exalt you. Instead of talking like that, we're more likely to say, well, this person has narcissistic personality disorder. And the way you deal with that is you show yourself more self-compassion. Or we'll say to someone, they have social anxiety disorder. When they're around people, they just get so fearful that people are judging them, scrutinizing them. And the prescription we give is medicine or breathing techniques rather than putting it in the Bible's framework and saying, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe there's some need for medicine here, but the Bible does talk about fear of man. When you care what people think about you, where the weight of what people think about you is so heavy, it's heavier than the weight of what God thinks about you, but God gives help for that. He can or reorient you towards him and caring what he thinks. So what can happen, if you're still following me here, what can happen to a Christian is this. He or she can think that the Bible tells you about how to love people, how to give your money, how to pray. But therapy is a totally separate thing that helps you if you've got anxiety or depression or narcissism or addiction. That's really dangerous. It could be adding another set of knowledge, of teaching, that we must know if our souls are going to work properly. If we're not careful, we can miss entirely what the Bible teaches about how our dysfunctional souls relate to God. So, so whether it's extra knowledge about how to be free from spiritual oppression or it's a whole other system of psychology, if you really want to help people change 
we need to be careful that we submit everything to our deposit. That's what these examples are for. Again, I made this note about curses and demons. This is not a sermon on counseling or mental health or therapy. If you've got questions, please talk to me. Push back. Please talk to me. Email me, WhatsApp. We can talk after. I'd love to. I'm trying to help us see, listen, there are lots, there's lots of knowledge coming our way. Some of it seems spiritual. Some of it feels like it's going to really help our souls. But we need to make sure that we're filtering it through this word. This is our deposit. We want to guard it, keep it, and make sure that the teaching is not changing. That's the call for us to keep this treasure. We don't want anything, no matter how helpful it seems, to obscure for us the God-centered realities of this book. We don't want that because this is how people know God. This is how people are transformed forever. That's what we need. That's what this world needs. So, Here's the final call for us as we close this book, this letter, 1 Timothy. Just as Paul told Timothy to guard the deposit, and just as we've received that deposit in this word, let's treasure it. Let's treasure it. Let's just devote ourselves again to treasuring it. It is the good news that Jesus died and rose again for our sins. He alone earns forgiveness and standing with God. He alone provides grace, all the grace we'll ever need. He alone does that. That's the good news. And he tells us how to live in light of it. If you lose this news, you lose life. So let's guard it. Demand that those who teach you show you where they're getting what they're saying. This is a potential danger. You come every week and listen to somebody tell you about how to relate to God. You should demand that the person who does it shows you that it's in the deposit and where it is. Challenge, measure all your convictions, even the ones you treasure most deeply. Challenge them and measure them by this. This is our standard. We, church, remember chapter 3, verse 15, we are a pillar and a buttress of the truth. We hold the truth up. This gathering, local churches, we preserve the truth that's been handed down. We hold it up for the world to see. So let's do it. And if we're going to do that, we need grace. That's how the book ends. Paul's just told Timothy, listen, you've got the teaching that if someone swerves from, it's over. So guard it. That's really heavy. But the letter ends with grace be with you. He knows that Timothy needs help if this is going to happen. We need help if this is going to happen. We need undeserved help from God, and he's ready to give it through Jesus. So church, may grace, the grace of Jesus, be with us as we guard this deposit because it's the truth. Let's pray. Father, we love your word. Help us to measure 
the things we believe, the things we love, the things we think, the things we do by it. It's our treasure. So help us. Help us to not think small thoughts about your word, to view it as outdated, but help us to measure, filter all the knowledge that comes our way by it and keep us from adding things that the scripture doesn't add on to us so that we don't swerve from the faith. We love you. Now, God, would you help us as we sing? Would our praises please you? Work on us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.